0: Section 9 of The Natural History, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The Natural History, Volume 4, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 9. Chapter 80. Varieties of the Teredo. There are four kinds of insects that attack wood. The teredo has a head remarkably large in proportion to the other part of the body and gnaws away the wood with its teeth. Its attacks, however, are confined solely to the sea, and it is generally thought that this is the only insect that is properly so-called. The woodworm that prevails on the land is known as the tynea, while those which resemble a gnat in appearance are called trippies. The fourth kind of woodworm belongs to the maggot class some of them being engendered by the corruption of the juices of the wood itself and others being produced just as in the trees by the worm known as the serastes when this worm has eaten away enough of the wood to enable it to turn round it gives birth to another the generation of these insects is prevented however by the bitterness that exists in some woods the cypress and the hardness of others the box for instance it is said too that the fir if barked about the time of budding and at the period of the moon already mentioned will never spoil in water. The followers of Alexander the Great have left a statement that at Tylos, an island in the Red Sea, there are trees of which ships are built, the wood of which has been found uninjured at the end of two hundred years, even if it has been under water all that time. They say also that in the same island there is a certain shrub about the thickness of a walking-stick only and spotted like a tiger's skin it is very heavy and will break like glass if it happens to fall upon a hard substance chapter eighty one the woods used in building we have in italy some woods that are apt to split of themselves to prevent this architects recommend that they should be first seasoned in manure and then dried in order to render them proof against the action of the atmosphere the woods of the fir and larch are well adapted even when used transversely, for the support of heavy burdens, while the rober and the olive are apt to bend and give way under a weight. The wood of the poplar and the palm are also strong, but this last will bend, though in a manner different from the others. For while in all other instances the wood bends downwards, in the palm it bends in the contrary direction and forms an arch. The woods of the pine and the cypress are proof against decay, and all attacks of woodworm the walnut is easily warped but we sometimes see beams even made of it it gives warning however before it breaks by a loud cracking noise such was the case at antandros at the public baths there the bathers took the alarm upon hearing the beams crack and made their escape the pine the pitch-tree and the alder are employed for making hollow pipes for the conveyance of water and when buried in the earth will last for many years if however they are not well covered over, they will very soon rot, and the resistance they offer to decay will increase in a most surprising degree if the outer surface as well is left in contact with the water. Chapter 82 Carpenter's Woods The wood of the fir is strongest in a vertical position. It is remarkably well adapted for the panels of doors, and all kinds of indoor joiners work, whether in the Grecian, the Campanian, or the Sicilian style. The shavings of this wood, when briskly planted, always curl up in circles like the tendrils of the vine. This wood, too, unites particularly well with the glue. It is used in this state for making vehicles, and is found to split sooner in the solid parts than in a place where the pieces have been glued together. Chapter 83 Woods United with Glue Glue, too, plays one of the principal parts in all veneering and works of marquetry. For this purpose the workmen usually employ wood with a threaded vein to which they give the name of ferulia from its resemblance to the grain of the giant fennel this part of the wood being preferred from its being dotted and wavy in every variety there are some woods to be found that will not take the glue and which refuse to unite either with wood of the same kind or of any other the wood of the robur for example indeed it is mostly the case that substances will not unite unless they are of a similar nature a stone for instance cannot be made to adhere to wood the wood of the service tree the yoke elm the box and in a less degree the lime have a particular aversion to uniting with the cornel all the yielding woods which we have already spoken of as flexible readily adapt themselves to every kind of wood and in addition to them the mulberry and the wild fig those which are moderately moist are easily sawn and cut but dry woods are apt to give way beyond the part that is touched by the saw while on the other hand the green woods with the exception of the rober and the box offer a more obstinate resistance filling the intervals between the teeth of the saw with sawdust and rendering its edge uniform and inert it is for this reason that the teeth are often made to project right and left in turns a method by which the sawdust is discharged the ash is found the most pliable wood of all for working and indeed for making spears it is better even than the hazel being lighter than the cornel and more pliable than the wood of the service-tree the gallic variety is so supple that it is employed in the construction of vehicles even the elm would rival the trunk of the vine for some purposes were it not that its weight is so much against it Chapter eighty-four. Veneering. The wood too of the beech is easily worked, although it is brittle and soft. Cut into thin layers of veneer, it is very flexible, but is only used for the construction of boxes and desks. The wood too of the holm oak is cut into veneers of remarkable thinness, the color of which is far from unsightly, but it is more particularly where it is exposed to friction that this wood is valued as being one to be depended upon in the axle-trees of wheels for instance for which the ash is also employed on account of its pliancy the holm oak for its hardness and the elm for the union in it of both those qualities there are also various workmen's tools made of wood which though but small are still remarkably useful in this respect it is said that the best materials for making auger handles are the wild olive the box the holm oak the elm and the ash of the same woods also mallets are made the larger ones however are made of the pine and the holm oak these woods too have a greater degree of strength and hardness if cut in season than when hewn prematurely indeed it has been known for hinge jams made of olive a wood of remarkable hardness after having remained a considerable time on the spot to put out buds like a growing plant cato recommends levers to be made of holly laurel or elm And Hyginus speaks highly of the yoke elm the home oak and the cirrus for handles of agricultural implements the best woods for cutting into layers and employing as a veneer for covering others are the citrus the terebinth the different varieties of the maple the box the palm the holly the home oak the root of the elder and the poplar the alder furnishes also as already stated a kind of tuberosity which is cut into layers like those of the citrus and the maple in all the other trees the tuberosities are of no value whatever it is the central part of tree that is most variegated and the nearer we approach to the root the smaller are the spots and the more wavy it was in this appearance that originated that requirement of luxury which displays itself in covering one tree with another and bestowing upon the more common woods a bark of higher price in order to make a single tree sell many times over laminae of veneer have been devised, but that was not thought sufficient the horns of animals must next be stained of different colours and their teeth cut into sections in order to decorate wood with ivory and at a later period to veneer it all over then after all this man must go and seek his materials in the sea as well for this purpose he has learned to cut tortoise-shell into sections and of late in the reign of nero There was a monstrous invention devised of destroying its natural appearance by paint and making it sell at a still higher price by a successful imitation of wood it is in this way that the value of our coaches is so greatly enhanced it is in this way too that they bid the rich luster of the terebinth to be outdone a mock citrus to be made that shall be more valuable than the real one and the grain of the maple to be feigned at one time luxury was not content with wood at the present day it sets us on buying tortoise-shell in the guise of wood chapter eighty five the age of trees a tree that was planted by the first scipio africanus a tree at rome five hundred years old the life of some trees might really be looked upon as of infinite duration if we only think of the dense wilds and inaccessible forests in some parts of the world in relation however to those the date of which is still within the memory of man, there are some olive trees still in existence at Liternum, which were planted by the hand of the first Scipio Africanus, as also a myrtle there of extraordinary size. Beneath them there is a grotto, in which it is said a dragon keeps watch over that hero's shade. There is a lotus tree in the open space before the temple of Lucinia at Rome, which was built in the year of the city, 379, a year in which the republic had no magistrates how much older the tree is than the temple is a matter of doubt but that it is older is quite certain for it was from the same grove that the goddess Lucina derived her name the tree in question is now about four hundred and fifty years old the lotus which is known as the capillata is still older than this though it is uncertain what is its age it received the name from the circumstance of the Vestal Virgins, suspending locks of the hair from it. Chapter 86 Trees as Old as the City There is another lotus in the volcano, which Romulus created with the tenth part of the spoil taken from the enemy, according to Massurius. According to Massurius, it is generally considered to be as old as the city. The roots of this tree penetrate as far as the Forum of Caesar right across the meeting-place of the municipalities there was a cypress of equal age growing with it till towards the latter part of nero's reign when it fell to the ground and no attempts were made to raise it again chapter eighty seven trees in the suburban districts older than the city still older than the city is the home oak that stands upon the vaticanian hill there is an inscription in bronze upon it written in etruscan characters which states that even in those days it was an object of religious veneration. The foundation of the town of Tiber too dates many years before that of the city of Rome. There are three holm oaks there, said to be more ancient than Tibernus even, who was the founder of that place. The tradition is that in their vicinity he was inaugurated. Tradition states also that he was a son of Amphiarous who died before Thebes, one generation before the period of the Trojan War. Chapter 88 Trees planted by Agamemnon the first year of the Trojan War, other trees which date from the time that the place was called Ilium, anterior to the Trojan War. There are some authors too who state that a plain tree at Delphi was planted by the hand of Agamemnon, as also another at Caffii, a sacred grove in Arcadia. At the present day, facing the city of Ilium and close to the Hellenspont, There are trees growing over the tomb of Protesilaus there, which in all ages since that period, as soon as they have grown up sufficient height to behold Ilium, have withered away, and then begun to flourish again. Near the city, at the tomb of Ilius, there are some oaks which are said to have been planted there, when the place was first known by the name of Ilium. Chapter 89 Trees planted at Argos by Hercules, others planted by Apollo, a tree more ancient than Athens itself. At Argos, an olive tree is said to be still in existence, to which Argus fastened Io after she had been changed into a cow. In the vicinity of Heraclea and Pontus, there are certain altars called after Jupiter, surnamed Stratios. Two oaks there were planted by Hercules. In the same country, too, is the port of Amicus, rendered famous by the circumstance that King Berbrix was slain there. Since the day of his death, his tomb has been covered by a laurel, which has obtained the name of the frantic laurel, from the fact that if a portion of it is plucked and taken aboard ship, discord and quarrelling are the inevitable result, until it has been thrown overboard. We have already made mention of Olocrine, a district through which you pass in going from Apamea into Phrygia. At this place they show a plain upon which Marcius was hanged after he had been conquered by Apollo, it having been chosen even in those days for its remarkable height. At Delos also there is a palm to be seen which dates from the birth of that divinity, and at Olympia there is a wild olive from which Hercules received his first wreath. At the present day it is preserved with the most scrupulous veneration at athens too the olive produced by minerva is said still to exist chapter ninety trees which are the most short-lived on the other hand the pomegranate the fig and the apple are remarkably short-lived the precocious trees being still more so than the late ripeners and those with sweet fruit than those with sour among the pomegranates too that variety which bears the sweetest fruit lives the shortest time The same is the case too with the vine, and more particularly the more fruitful varieties. Graecinus informs us that vines have lasted so long as sixty years. It appears also that the aquatic trees die the soonest. The laurel, the apple and the pomegranate age rapidly, it is true, but then they throw out fresh shoots at the root. The olive must be looked upon then as being one of the most long-lived, for it is generally agreed among authors that it will last 200 years chapter 91 trees that have been rendered famous by remarkable events in the territory about the suburbs of tusculum upon a hill known by the name of corny there is a grove which has been consecrated to diana by the people of latium from time immemorial it is formed of beeches the foliage of which has all the appearance of being trimmed by art passienus crispus the orator who in our time was twice consul and afterwards became still more famous as having nero for his stepson on marrying his mother agrippina was passionately attached to a fine tree that grew in this grove and would often kiss and embrace it not only would he lie down too beneath it but he would also moisten its roots with wine in the vicinity of this grove there is a holm-oak otherwise of very considerable celebrity the trunk of which is no less than thirty feet in circumference, giving birth to ten other trees of remarkable size, it forms of itself a whole forest. Chapter 92 Plants that have no peculiar spot for their growth, others that grow upon trees and will not grow in the ground, nine varieties of them, Cadithus, Polypodion, Foulius, Hippofleston, It is a well-known fact that trees are killed by ivy. The mistletoe also has a similar influence, although it is generally thought that its injurious effects are not as soon perceptible. And indeed, this plant, apart from the fruit that it bears, is looked upon as by no means the least remarkable. There are certain vegetable productions which cannot be propagated in the ground and which grow nowhere but on trees. Having no domicile of their own, they live upon others. Such, for instance, as is the case with the mistletoe, and a herb that grows in Syria that is known as the cadetus. This last entwines around not only trees, but brambles even. In the neighborhood of Temple too in Thessaly, there is found a plant which is called Polypodion, the Dolichos is found also, and wild thyme. After the wild olive has been pruned, there springs up a plant that is known as Folius, while one that grows upon the fullest thistle is called the hippopheston. It has a thin hollow stem, a small leaf and a white root, the juice of which is considered extremely beneficial as a purgative in epilepsy. Chapter 93 Three varieties of mistletoe, the nature of mistletoe and similar plants There are three varieties of the mistletoe, that which grows upon the fir and the larch has the name of Stelis in Eubaea, and there is the Hyphaea of Arcadia. It grows also upon the Querius, the Robur, the Holm Oak, the Wild Plum, and the Terebinth, but upon no other tree. It is most plentiful of all upon the Quercus, and is then known as Adosphere. In all the trees, with the exception of the Holm Oak and the Quercus, there is a considerable difference in its smell and pungency, and the leaf of one kind has a disagreeable odour. Both varieties, however, are sticky and bitter. The high fear is the best for fattening cattle with. It begins, however, by purging off all defects, after which it fattens all such animals as have been able to withstand the purging. It is generally said, however, that those animals which have any radical malady in the intestines cannot withstand its drastic effect. This method of treatment is generally adopted in the summer for a period of 40 days. Besides the above, there is yet another difference in the mistletoe that which grows upon the trees which lose their leaves, loses its leaves as well, while on the other hand that which grows upon evergreens always retains its leaves. In whatever way the seed may have been sown, it will never come to anything unless it has first been swallowed and then voided by birds, the wood-pigeon more particularly, and a thrush, such being the nature of the plant, that it will not come to anything unless the seed is first ripened in the crop of the bird. It never exceeds a single cubit in height, and is always green and branchy. The male plant is fruitful, the female barren, sometimes indeed the male even bears no berry. Chapter 94 The Method of Making Bird Lime Bird lime is made of the berries of the mistletoe, which are gathered at harvest, and while in an unripe state, for if the rainy season comes on, though they increase in size, the viscous juice is apt to lose its virtues. They are then dried, and when brought to a state of perfect aridity, are first pounded, and then put in water, in which they are left to rot for twelve days, this being in fact the only thing that finds improvement in decay. After this they are again beaten in running water with a mallet, and after losing the outer coat there is only the viscous inner pulp remaining. This substance is birdlime, and after it has been thinned by the addition of walnut oil, It is found particularly useful for catching birds. It being quite sufficient, if they only touch it with the wings. Chapter ninety-five. Historical facts connected with the mistletoe. Upon this occasion, we must not omit to mention the admiration that is lavished upon this plant by the Gauls. The Druids, for that is the name they give to their magicians, held nothing more sacred than the mistletoe and the tree that bears it, supposing always that tree to be the robur of itself the roba is selected by them to form whole groves and they perform none of their religious rites without employing branches of it so much so that it is very probable that the priests themselves may have received their name from the greek name for that tree in fact it is the notion with them that everything that grows on it has been sent immediately from heaven and that the mistletoe upon it is a proof that the tree has been selected by god himself as an object of his special favour. The mistletoe, however, is but rarely found upon the rober, and when found is gathered with rites replete with religious awe. This is done more particularly on the fifth day of the moon, the day which is the beginning of their months and years, as also of their ages, which with them are but thirty years. This day they select because the moon, though not yet in the middle of her course, has already considerable power and influence. And they call her by a name which signifies in their language the all-healing having made all due preparation for the sacrifice and a banquet beneath the trees they bring thither two white bulls the horns of which are bound then for the first time clad in a white robe the priest ascends the tree and cuts the mistletoe with a golden sickle which is received by others in a white cloak They then immolate the victims, offering up their prayers that God will render this gift of His propitious to those to whom He has also granted it. It is the belief with them that the mistletoe taken in drink will impart fecundity to all animals that are barren, and that it is an antidote for all poisons. Such are the religious feelings which we find entertained towards trifling objects among nearly all nations. Summary Remarkable facts, narratives, and observations 1135. Roman authors quoted M. Varro, Fetialis, Nigidius, Cornelius Napos, Hyginus, Masurius, Cato, Musianus, L. Piso, Trogus, Calpurnius Bassus, Cremutius, Sextius, Niger, Cornelius Bacchus, Vitruvius, gracinus foreign authors quoted alexander polyhistor hesiod theophrastus democritus homer timaeus the mathematician end of section nine read for you by chiquito crasto birmingham alabama